Good morning. Thank you for joining us online. No, I don't get to screen those before Nate does them. You know, it's interesting. He does those, and then he leaves town. He's actually out of town. But we got staff meeting Tuesday. I'll talk to him then. How many of you have had a fever at some point in your life? Thank you for your honesty. I know you. There's a couple people who haven't. Okay. So you get a fever. The temptation is to try and treat the symptom and not the cause. Let's just see if we can bring our temperature down. That's okay for comfort, but a fever is telling you there's an infection someplace in your body. Well, persecution of people who follow Jesus is a bit like that. It's a symptom of a deeper problem. See, persecution comes, what, from a boss, a family member, uh, somebody in the neighborhood, somebody who doesn't like who you are or what you stand for. And it's easy to think, she's the problem, he's the problem. But I want to suggest to you there's something that's a cause behind that. Just like the fever, there's an infection that causes behind it. There's a, something that's causing this persecution. And it's something we always face. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Always. People have got always been persecuted. Well, why is that? We're going to talk about that today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Revelation chapter 12, we're going to go through this chapter. We're going to wrestle with this question. Why have Jesus' followers always suffered persecution? Why have Jesus' followers always suffered persecution? Now, if you haven't been with us, let me just get you up to speed. We've been looking at Revelation the last 10 weeks or so. Chapter 1, 1 through 8, um, John, God gives John up. A vision, an apocalypse. And he says, I'm going, to cre- I'm going to communicate through symbols. Think about a political commentator who uses political cartoon. It's not in the symbols, it's the message. But this isn't a message for us to speculate. What do you think? How about when? It is a prophetic word. It says that in chapter 1, verse 4. At the end of chapter 22, it uses, the end of the book, it uses the word prophecy four times at least. Prophecy is instruction on how to live. So this is a word specifically for seven churches. And we find out in chapter 1 that this prophecy is going to be communicated in the form of a letter. John is already suffering from his faith. He's been exiled to the island of Patmos. And he's shepherding, pastoring seven churches. And he writes them a letter. And the rest of chapter 1 through chapter 3 is instruction to these churches to evaluate how we doing, what's going well, what needs to change. Chapters 4 and 5, then John articulates his vision. He's in heaven. He sees that things are in order. People are worshiping God. But that's not how it is on earth. And there's a scroll that has God's plan of vindication of the righteous and and judgment of the unrighteous, but it's got seven seals on it, and no one is seen that's fit to open the scroll. Remember, seals are uh, a measure of security. Unless you are one with authority, you can't open it. Well, then he... In his tears, he hears about the Lion of Judah and the Root of David, militaristic terms, but then he looks and he sees a slain lamb. This is the one, the victorious slain lamb, who is fit to open the scroll. And so that's what happens. He opens the seven seals, and that begins a series of three judgments, each seven series. And the first one in chapters 6 through 8 are the seven seals. The seventh seal then gives birth to the seven trumpets, and we just finished those. And then in chapters 
15 and beyond, we'll get into the seven bowls. But before that, there's a cosmic interlude that describes the cosmic battle that's going on in the earthly battle. And that's where we are as we pick up in chapter 12, verse 1. Here's what it says. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And the 12 stars is talking about Israel. This woman is representative of faithful Israel, and she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. We'll see in verse 5 that this child is Jesus. Remember, Jesus was Jewish, okay? So faithful Israel gives birth to our Savior. But there's an opposition. Chapter, uh, verse 3, Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, on his head were seven diadems. Remember, we're communicating, God's communicating through pictures, dragon, grotesque, terrifying, frightening. Color red, symbolic of murderous intent. Verse 4, and his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and threw them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Power, able to sweep away stars waiting for the woman to give birth because he's in opposition to the woman, but particularly the child. Verse 5, identity of the child becomes clear, and she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up in, to God and to his throne. Clearly a reference to Jesus, his ascension, after he resurrected from the dead. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she would be nourished for 1,260 days. That time frame is equal to what we read in chapter 11, verse 2, when it talks about a time frame of 42 months. 42 months is 1,260 days. And chapter 11, verse 3, again, mentions the 1,260 days. What did chapter 11 give us? It gave us two metaphors. One was a picture of the temple. The inner part of it was measured, a sign of protection. The outer part wasn't. That was symbolic of the church's testimony of Jesus would be preserved, but the, the people would suffer. What? For 42 months or 1,260 days. Chapter 12 is giving the backstory of what's going on in chapter 11. Second metaphor in chapter 11, two witnesses. Again, symbolic of the church. They have a time of prophesying, but then they're killed. And they're left to lie. They won't even get the dignity of a burial. And the world celebrates their death. Why? Because finally somebody has shut up the voice of the church. But then God raises them. Again, that, that time period is commensurate with what we see here. So chapter 12 is giving us the backstory. What is going on? There's more than meets the eye that people are persecuting the church. Well, here's what's going on. Chapter 12, verse 7. And there was a war in the heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a, a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. Okay, here's the identity. The serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. So this hideous dragon that's described, it is Satan. It is the same Satan that was in the garden. This Satan has been op in opposition to God's people since the beginning of time. He wanted to be God. He had a fight. He lost. He got bounced. He's mad. He wants to take on God and anybody related to God. So this has been going on 
But what we're going to find out is in the church age, with the birth of the church and the coming of Jesus, the intensity steps up. How does the devil work? Second part of verse uh, 9. The devil who deceives the world, deception. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. What's the deception? You can live your life without God. You're better off without God. Don't, don't listen. That, that's what happened in the garden. You can eat off that tree and say you die. You call your own shots. Your life is better independent of God. That's the ultimate deception. He's lost, okay? And he wants to take as many people with him that won't be given glory to God. And so the deception goes on. The persecution follows the deception. This has been Satan's plan from the beginning and will continue until Jesus comes back. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't that an encouraging word? So we're asking this question, why have Jesus' followers always, why have God's followers always been persecuted? Here's why. The devil. He's always wanted, always wanted to destroy God and his people. And his major mojo for destroying God and his people is deception. Your life is better without God. Your life is better if you call the shots. Okay. So because I'm old, I eat high-fiber cereal every morning with skim milk. It's good for me, but it doesn't taste very good. When I was a kid, I ate Frosted Flakes. They taste a lot better. Supposedly, they're not good for me, but... So, those of you who know your Frosted Flakes lore, who is the spokesperson for Frosted Flakes? Who is it? Tony the Tiger. And what does he say about the Frosted Flakes? They're what? They're great, yes. So I was in a Tony. We didn't have a TV, but my neighbor over the fence did. And every once in a while I would watch TV. And by golly, I don't know what I'm watching, but there's an ad advertisement on for a Tony the Tiger action figure. And I thought, I have got to have this thing. I mean, it goes through water and it knocks over walls. I mean, this thing is cool, but it's going to be like, I'm going to guess here, six fifty-seven bucks. Remember, this is a long time ago. It's when I was a kid. My, my allowance was a quarter. So if I want the Tony the Tiger action figure, I can't use my quarter to go get pop. And I, I've got to put that ching, ching, in my piggy bank until I save six fifty or whatever it was. Now, I've got to collect box tops from Frosted Flakes, so I do that. Finally, I get the requisite money, and I give it to my mom, and she writes a check, and we send it off. But I have got to wait. I've got to wait for six, allow six weeks, they tell me, for shipping and handling. I am beyond excited for my Tony the Tiger action figure. Finally, finally, it gets there. And I open it and I put the battery in. And you know what? It was worthless. It didn't do any of the stuff they told me it could do on the TV ad. Within an hour, I was done with my Tony the Tiger action figure. People, I got deceived. I said no to a lot of things because I thought life would be cool with Tony. And it wasn't there. Do you understand? We are targets of deception. Your life, so the pictures painted, would be, I mean, be so much better 
if you didn't follow God. You're dating. It'd be so much better if you all those Bible things. No. You, I mean, you're, you're get a paycheck, and, and I mean, it'd just be better if your money was yours and your time was yours, and, I, and just submit to God. We're being played. And the deception, look, look, we wouldn't fall for it if it didn't look good. I wouldn't have bought Tony the Tiger if it didn't look good. There's one who's angry at God, and he wants to take everybody out, and he starts with deception. Well, I mean, this Satan looks pretty, pretty intimidating. I mean, I mean, should we be concerned? Should we be afraid? I mean, God's number one command to his people is do not fear. Well, let's answer that, starting in verse 10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night. So there's one who accuses. And what? Verse 11, they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. I mean, let's go back to chapter 4 and 5. Talked about a conquering Christ. Remember the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, very militaristic. But then looks, that's what he hears, but then he looks and he sees a slain lamb, bloody. Jesus conquered, overcame by dying. And that's what John says in this vision. This, this Satan has been overcome, why? By the blood of the Lamb. And we get to take part in it with the word of our testimony. We're part, we have standing in that as we testify about Jesus. We're covered in that blood. We're overcoming in that as we say, yes, Jesus is the risen Lord. So my junior year in high school, I was on a swim team that finished seventh at the state meeting. I think there were over 100 teams. And you say, well, Andy, you must have been like really good. No, 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 I was really mediocre, really, really mediocre in my swimming. In fact, I didn't even qualify for state. Well, how in the world did you get to be on a team that was seventh state? We had two high school All-Americans on my team. And when you go to a state meet, you don't need depth. You need studs who can win. And we had two. So people, top ten in state. I, I did it because of the stature of those guys. Do you understand we overcome this one as we testify about Jesus? We are partakers of that blood that overcomes Here's what it says, though, going on in verse 11. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. These people that testified about Jesus, they're facing persecution. Remember, the Roman Empire says, you need to worship Domitian, and I can't do that. Let me cost you. Why on earth would you give your life? Let me see if I can explain it this way. I, no one in, like, middle school, high school was a bigger coward when it came to backing out of fights than I was. I mean, I backpedaled faster than anybody. I just, I just, I'm more of a lover. You guys probably know that. I'm not a fighter. I'm more of a lover. <laughs> so let me fast forward ahead. Our older son is about a year and a half or two. I'm at a McDonald's Playland, and I'm looking down. I don't know what I'm looking at. All of a sudden, I hear him go, Dad, he's being bullied by some kid. And I mean, I am out of my chair. What? Well, did I measure the situation? Did I look at the other guy's dad? No, I didn't. I reacted because I loved my son. I don't know how much strength I got. Whatever I had, I was going to put to protecting him. Now, the other guy's dad saw what was going on. He called him over and called him off, and it, it resolved. 
What's my point? When we're in love with Jesus, okay, I'm not going to compromise my testimony even if it costs me my life. And, and Revelation said heaven is full of these people, and the number is still filling. We're getting a pass in the West, but this is what partaking does. We're, we're willing to even risk our love. And so, you know, our life. So, God, would you grow our love? And verse 12, then, talking about this, says, For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing he only has a short time. Look, it's intense. With the coming of Jesus, the clock has started. We're in the final hour. We're in the church age. Jesus could show up any time. And the devil knows that. He is on the clock. So it's intense. He's angry. He wants to go after us. Verse 13. When the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place. When she was nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the present of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened his mouth and drank up the river which dragon, the dragon poured out of his mouth. God preserving the testimony of his church. So, verse 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children. Who are they? Who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. If you're here today saying, yeah, I am committed to maintain the commandments of God, and I am committed to, conf you're not going to get me to back off confessing that I believe Jesus is the eternal Son of God. On a Friday, He went in the tomb. He was certified dead. On a Sunday morning, He came back. If you're going to hold to that, you're a target. Because you're with God, and the devil hates God, and he wants to take anybody out. Listen, we got a war going on right now in Russia and Ukraine. You know what, Ukrainians, Russian citizens, you're part of this war. You may not want it, you may not like it, but you're a citizen of these countries. You're at war. People, same deal. We follow Christ. We're going to hold to His commandments. We're going to uh, testify about Him. We're part of it. We're a target. So let's step back. Who are the first readers of Revelation? The seven churches are the first readers. It's 90 to 95 A.D. Domitian is the emperor of Rome. He is demanding to be worshipped as a deity. The Romans believe that the gods are channeling their blessings to the empire through Rome. Rome is known for their Pax Romana, their peace. And the citizens think, we don't want to blow this. So you and I, we need to be worshiping God. Remember, seven cities, six cities, the Roman Empire has built temples to the worship of God. Five, there's a subsidized priesthood. The people are being called to worship Domitian. And you come along and you say, you can't do that because you follow Jesus? Isn't, isn't he the one who said he was going to overthrow the Roman rule? And they're feeling it. On top of that, if you belong to a trade guild, every trade guild had their own patron god, and each month, every quarter, I don't know, we, we eat a meal to this patron god who gives us work, and you're not going to participate in that? I don't know if you can be a part of this guild. They're feeling it. And what God wants to communicate through John, 
is they're not the ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is Satan is behind this. He's using the Roman government. He's using the superstition to try and pressure you to give up on your testimony. God. Remember, we take our understanding from the first readers. Well, what is, how does that apply to us? You got a boss at work. You got a neighbor. You got a teacher. You got a professor who's pushing you, who's pressuring you to back off. Your problem isn't ultimately with that person. It's with Satan. He will use anything to attack the people of God. So how do we respond to this? I think we need to be sobered, but not fearful. Is this serious? Yeah, it is. Do we need to be afraid? No, we don't. So let me go back to our older son. I get permission to do these, share these. But um, kindergarten through 12th grade, I think he may have missed two or three days of school. I mean, he just never got sick. And that was just clear from the beginning. He was just a healthy kid. About fourth or fifth grade, during the summer, he gets a, a, a fever. And we just think, ah, you know, he's probably going to be fine. But we, uh, you know, we got insurance, so we can just go to the urgent care and we'll, we'll get it checked out. And, and the doctor says, this is low-grade pneumonia. We need to put him on an antibiotic right now. And if this fever goes back up in a couple days, you come back in because we're going to go to the next level of antibiotic. And sure enough, for two days he was great, and the fever went back up. And you know what we did? We went back in. See, see that doctor got, he mentioned the word pneumonia. Oh, you got my attention. But he said, come back in because we have an antibiotic that can treat this. There's a cure for this, but don't fool with it. Okay? This is serious, people. Satan is at work, and he is trying to get people to renounce their testimony. Take it seriously, but don't be afraid. There's one who's overcome. Jesus spoke about this in, in John 16, verses 32 and 33. Here's what he said. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come. He's talking about the church age. For you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. Don't leave here afraid of Satan. Do not leave here afraid. Be sobered, be aware, but please do not be afraid. He says, I've overcome the world, the whole system. How? By the blood of the Lamb. As we testify, we're partakers in this. So again, let me ask you, where are you getting static? Where are you getting pressure for being a Jesus freak? Where are you being told, just tone it down? Understand, your ultimate issue is not with that person. It is with Satan. Not that you don't deal with the person, but you start in prayer. God, I am in a spiritual battle. Would you work in this situation because you've overcome? And then deal with that person in love, knowing that Jesus has the victory. So one of my favorite uh, speakers to listen to is a guy named John Ortberg. And he was uh, telling a story. He's from living out in California. He was going surfing. And he said, it's just an open beach. And there was a, a guy out there probably in his 30s uh, 
pretty fit, and he was working on, on his martial arts stuff. He was practicing his stuff, and I just noticed him, and I went out, and I went surfing, and I'm surfing along, and pretty quickly, um, a little boy comes up and surfs up next to me, and uh, he introduces himself. He's pretty, pretty friendly. His name's Shane. Shane, how old are you? I'm eight. How long have you been surfing? About seven years. And Orberg said, you know, I looked down at his surfboard. It looked like the side of a, a, a size of a Frisbee. And I'm thinking, you know, this is a big ocean, an eight-year-old boy out here by himself. Shane, how did you get here? That's my dad. Oh, hi, son. So every time Shane would go surfing where he's done, dad walks along the beach, kind of doing his martial art things, watching him. Shane, not alone. Shane's dad is watching over him. We live in a world that's opposed to God. You serious about keeping your commands, God's commands? You serious about keeping your testimony to Jesus? There's, Satan's going to come after you. He hates you because he's beaten and he's got a short time. You're not alone. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. We're always, God's people always have and always will suffer persecution because Satan wants to destroy the people of God, because he hates God. But we need to take heart. We take part in the victory Jesus has. He says, I've overcome this world and Satan through my blood. That we'd be serious. We'd lean into Jesus because of the seriousness of the condition of this world. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're uh, grateful and sobered uh, by your word. There is... Uh, an enemy out there who, who does want to destroy the people of God. And, and he is into deception, and he is into pressure, and he is into intimidation. And people are losing their lives. And yet you have called us to be faithful, and you say as we're faithful, as we will not renounce our testimony, you overcome. Thanks, Jesus, for your true, sobering, and comforting word that we would live it out in the fullest of ways. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.